Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. I'm Stern, joined, as always, by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. And Jenny is just about just back from CES in Las Vegas, which was last week as we record this. Jenny, welcome back from Las Vegas and all the dizzying sights and sounds and lights and displays at CES <laughs> and Vegas. It's sort of like a two plus two equals five in terms of over-the-topness there, I'm guessing. You were there to sort of keep an eye on, I loved how you put these two questions in a blog post you wrote about your time there. Will people adopt this technology? And if so, what will it all mean for customer experience? So I think with that lens on CES, where there is all these ostensibly dazzling new technologies or applications of technologies, what did you see? I went in to pay attention to what is the technology that matters today, right? So what will people use? Autonomous cars are great seeing these voice-controlled screens, which were the entire dashboard of the car of the future, was really interesting. But people aren't going to start using those tomorrow, right? And they're not going to shift customer expectations tomorrow. Right. And so if you're a company wondering how to use emerging technology, don't worry yet about what yeah. the autonomous car means for you. Right. Instead, focus on things that may have more of an impact or are more actual consumer-ready as opposed to sort of technology-ready. Yep. I think that's a good frame here, right? The technologies that are maybe the most interesting or getting the most hype, there's an inverse relationship between that and their readiness or yeah. relevance this year. For Absolutely. Sure, right? Yeah. It's, here's a technology. Someone come up with a use case that will get someone yeah. to use it. Yeah. So yeah, so what I did was I went through everything, pulled together what I thought is really going to be important, really matters, matters for customer experience, and distilled it down into four key takeaways. First was robots. Robots. And had to talk about robots because robots were also everywhere that you looked. Are we picturing actual things that look like robots? I mean, was everything clearly a robot? Mm. Is anything humanoid in form? That's a great question. And that's also one of the things that I touched on here is that the meaning Ah. of robot is so broad. A lot of the robots that we're talking about and that I'm referring to here are more of these mobile robots that take on varying forms. So there are a lot of humanoid robots who have faces, whether they're screens or, you know, light up displays that look like a face. Others of them even had arms and legs and fingers that were walking around. And some were much more of just a tablet that was placed on something that could move (laughs) and was mobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it definitely runs the gamut. And so some of the core capabilities that I saw that were interesting in robots today and I think can make an impact are... The advances in autonomous navigation, Mm. a lot of them are really sensor-laden, can sense where someone is, move around, get out of the way. Um, There's also spatial tracking capabilities and the ability to sort of map a location and a layout to the robot so they can navigate the aisles, right? They have this localized tracking capability. So you can imagine being in a store and the robot knows exactly where they are, what is around them, if there's a display in the middle of the floor that they need to navigate around and how to get to, you know, aisle C. Got it. So it would almost be that, okay, we know the robot with its sensors knows when it's going to run into a wall. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, that display in the middle that's, you know, highlighting merchandise that's on sale, you can give the robot information that it knows that's housewares this week, whereas last week it was women's clothing or something. Yep. Yeah. And along those lines, too, they also have inventory integration capabilities so that they can know what's in stock and what's not before they even navigate you to the aisle if you were someone asking them for help. And a lot of them also have, and this is less of a consumer-facing application, more of a sort of workforce application. They have the ability through image recognition some other capabilities to actually look at the shelf, see what's there, are things in the right place, has something been removed, and actually track the inventory themselves too. 
Got it. Okay. Wow. So they're, they're restocking shelves at that point. But then, of course, there are other applications, too. Um, those who help children with autism, for example, there are a lot of healthcare applications of this. And there was one, too, a very humanoid one, the walker robot, who would open the door for you, fetch a beer from the fridge, also grab some chips on the way back and give it to you. Um, so I was showing sort of the more future of the personal robot. I've heard that that's even more common, say, in Japan right now, where there's a labor shortage and an aging population, and they probably need more robot home healthcare type workers yeah. in the future, replacing the, the non-existent younger humans who might take care of that elderly population yeah. otherwise. It's interesting that you say that. And also, um, in general, so when you're at CES, the question is always, is this something that's actually in market or something someone's using? Is yeah. this a prototype for the future? And a lot of the answers when we asked where these were currently deployed were in Asia and in China, too. Yeah. So, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm, much higher adoption there. And that, I mean, it's a fascinating sort of trend here. But, you know, the, there's the, always the threat or worry about robots taking our jobs. But if there's labor shortages and we don't exist to fill all those jobs, all that you know, home care for the bulge and elderly population. Mm-hmm. You can sort of see the use case there of not replacing workers, but replacing labor that might have been done by a family member who's no longer doing it or done for people who otherwise wouldn't have someone or couldn't afford someone to do mm-hmm. it for them. So it's, it's sort of interesting to think about where they might be adding to the labor pool where the labor pool is unwilling to take the jobs or j- there just isn't enough labor to take the jobs. But it sounds like from your interactions with these robots, you weren't wildly impressed. There were definitely some funky things going on. I will say in general, CES, and this is really hard for me going in as someone who you know cares about interactions and context, CES is not necessarily the best place to showcase the capabilities of hardware and software. And I say that because the internet connections are so wonky. I went mm. to this one robot um, who had all these features, and I asked if I could use it, and they said, well, we don't have Wi-Fi in this spot, so we can't connect you to any of the capabilities, so no, but here's something pre-programmed. I was like, well, this completely yeah. undoes everything we would have thought. Um, and then there was another one, the Cruiser Robot, which can guide you around mock aisles, and they had it set up like a, a mock retail store, but it had backed the person presenting sort of into a corner just by function of oh how it had gosh. worked. And so she was trying to have it move out of the way, but I guess there were too many people around. The sensors were overloaded, and so it couldn't move. And so it kept saying, okay, going to greet people at door, and then would shift and not move. And it kept saying that over and over and over again because it was so overwhelmed that it was <laughs> unable to move. Oh, no. And I was just thinking... You know, is this ready to be in an aisle? Right? Yeah. What if there's a family or four people that go to yeah. stand around it? Is yeah. it just going to sort of short circuit and just stand there? So there were definitely some Oh, and that's some totally problems. like modern day Luddites will just do that. They'll go surround a robot until it's like brain shorts out. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. Which of course was happening at CES. But then there was at one point where, you know, they'd given us this warning, asked us to move out of its way so it could see its path to the door. Again, something you're not going to have people do in a retail setting. And so we did that. And so we were pretty far. And still, it was just reeling from (laughs) sensory overload. So So the robots are here. And sounds like we're taking care of them more than they're taking care of us for now, at least. And so your second big theme was that smart is everywhere, yeah, including in robots, it sounds like. But smart doesn't always mean really smart. Yes. Completely a misnomer, I think. (laughs) In fact, I would love it if people stopped using the term in general. What would you replace smart with then? Maybe just connected. I guess it depends on what is it that is making it become called smart. And usually I think that it's an internet connected device. So you are able to send some information to it. It can gather information and send it back. It's a device where previously it would exist as a product, for example, within your home, but you'd have no ability to communicate with it or it wouldn't know anything going on. 
These are a lot of nodes or endpoints than in the Internet of Things, right? Yeah, exactly. Suddenly suddenly more things are Internet connected than before. That's yeah that's what these are but then for them to actually be smart to me would have to imply that there's some ability for them to apply intelligence or thinking or make decisions or be proactive and that's usually not the case most of the smart products that we saw were doing sort of one of the few things the first is that they were able to measure and monitor so the example that i say here is the withings scale which often is talked about sort of in healthcare as a connected scale that you can stand on and what it will do is it will track your weight and track it over time. So it's applying a dashboard. So that's somewhat smart, but it isn't necessarily telling you to do anything or telling you anything that you wouldn't really otherwise know. The second is to inform. Okay. So now you have a product or device that can talk back to you. So the Swithing Scale will tell you the temperature that day. I don't know if that's necessarily smart, but that can be used as a feature for smart. I should I should voice out loud my quizzical look. Yeah, it doesn't, you're, shak- doesn't, you're shaking your you head a little bit and looking. You can't hear me <laughs> looking that way, but that. That doesn't sound like a smart application for scale. I don't know if that I don't know if that counts necessarily as a smart product, right? You're connected, you're pulling in some information to inform people. That's even the case to a degree that seems more intelligent, a voice activated everything. So in a bathroom sort of setups and demos at CES, everything was voice activated. I could turn something on and off. I could also ask my mirror for the weather that day. Um, I could ask this other bathroom mirror to start playing music. And so those were the types of smart products that we saw. And that's why I just, you know, I don't think they're smart. I totally get it. And actually something just occurred to me about why they're not smart. It sounds like most of them are not actually going to be in conversation with you. Like if I could talk back to the scale and it says... You weigh this, you know, like almost like the this is why you're fat feature, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you weigh this morning. And it's like, here's what I did yesterday and ate yesterday. Or maybe it can pull that in from other devices. And it's like, here's what you weigh this morning relative to what you weighed yesterday morning. Here's a point of view on why you might have gained that pound or two, yeah. right? You ate this extra thing. You skip that workout, whatever. That is smart to me. Like right. it, it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. making a, it's using data. It's pulling in your data, which you probably have collected in other places. If you have a, you know, exercise connected device, like, you know, Peloton or you know, Fitbit, and it's giving you an informed view on why the scale it, the scale is saying you weigh what you weigh. Yeah. That might be smart, but it's not yeah. doing that. Not, I've never heard of that application on any of these smart right. it's devices. It's creating some insight that you otherwise couldn't come up with, as opposed Correct. to just creating a new shortcut to information that you could have gotten somewhere else. Now there's just a shortcut through this device. Or, you know, better cataloging your data. Like, okay, I've tracked your weight every day, so you have it longitudinally. I still don't understand enough around that one data point to know why that data point is what it is. Yeah, that's what makes something smart. Today for a smart product to actually be smart, like that requires smarts from the person using it to buy all the right devices and connect them in the right way. So today, the smart products are only smart as the people who set them up. Okay, so lack of intelligence among our smart products. Then you highlight the battle for the home, perhaps, is it uh, Google versus Amazon? So Google has actually only displayed at CES twice now. Um, This was the second year it was there. And I think that's because Amazon got right in, has early, you know, market moving advantage here in general in this voice market and voice assistant market. So they were everywhere. Google came in and this year it really seemed like they were going head to head and Google was trying to beat them. So Amazon had a room set up in one of the conference halls, which featured all of its connected devices, not all of them, but many of them in different yeah. categories, right? Like yeah. office connected devices, home replenishment connected devices. Think about Amazon Dash, sort of automatic Dash, replenishment. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so you could walk in that room and just see everything that's connected Again, for me, I was like, I don't see the value here in context, but that's cool. Right. Um, 
And then in Google, they were actually set up across the way in a parking lot with this entire sort of home that they had created, which also showed their connected devices but walked you through it. Right. So, okay, this is the morning. You turn on the lights and it does this. And then you ask Google to do this. And then you ask it to do this. And so it was able to show the features a little bit more. They also had a Disney-esque ride. That was almost like It's a Smart World where oh, <laughs> you, would go, you would go on this ride and it would take you through a day in the life with Google Assistant reminding you to do things and connecting things and giving you directions. And then there were just Hello Google signs everywhere, like on a monorail too. But so the biggest takeaway is they're definitely going head to head and trying to fight this out. I think Google has tried to catch up to Amazon. They announced some capabilities such as real-time natural language translator, so you can have conversations in real time with people who are speaking a different language. They also announced that they have their Google Assistant Connect to help get more developers on the Google platform, where Amazon Mm -hmm. has an advantage. And also just on the floor, every product you saw, one of these smart products would have a sign saying, you know, Alexa integrated or Google Assistant integrated. And so it seems like the jury is still out in terms of the smart products, which ones they're using. But for now kind of anyone's game because they're they're trying to use both to see who will win in the long run. I guess I'm just <laughs> I'm so pessimistic about this. You know, my word of the year last year, as listeners will no doubt remember, I'm kidding, kidding yes. voice, sarcasm voice there, it was intent. And I just don't think they have the mm-hmm. right intent around this at all. I don't trust their intent. Amazon wants you Which to buy one? more stuff. Both of them? And Google wants more of your data. And mm-hmm. I just don't trust their intent. I have to say that as honestly as I can, that I don't think they can design good experiences, good interactions for us because they have completely the wrong intent about serving the user well on the user's terms, not on terms that are maybe for the user, but primarily for enriching their business. Yeah, It's not to say you can't enrich your business. It's to say that if you don't start with the intent of let me truly try to solve real human needs rather than just create interactions that build on a uh, shiny new technology, yeah. you're just never going to get there. And I just, that's totally where I think, right. I guess I'm sharing your pessimism about CES not being a good proving ground for real human use cases for these whiz-bang technologies. That's completely true, right? It's here's something we can do with technology. Now let's find a use case for it. Yeah. Um, and there's even this one company I spoke with about, it was a VR company, where I thought they had come up with this new way to sort of sense and track a human body in a VR setting so that it's much more natural and intuitive. Yeah. And I asked them about it in the user research. They were like, oh, well, we've created these sensors, but, you know, we actually haven't user tested it yet. I'd be curious to hear what you what you think. I was like, you created these, these sensors for a more <laughs> intuitive sort of, you know, gestural interaction, but you actually haven't talked to the users. But so, yeah, that's the case with everything, right? Yeah. But if let's put technology here. Let's see what happens as opposed to doing user-centered design yeah. to create the ideas for these products. Yeah. And I'm sure some did, but, you know. I'm sure some did. And it, <laughs> Not showcased at CES in that way. Great. Well, Jenny, there's a lot more in your blog post in terms of conclusions from your time at CES. Listeners, we've posted a link to that post. It's well worth the read. It is available without a Forrester subscription, so check it out. And Jenny, thanks for breaking it down for us, and we'll talk to everyone next week.